All right, we're going to begin by hearing from the Lord in his word. Psalm chapter 103, we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 14 today. Psalm 103, verses 6 through 14. And if I could ask if somebody could close the door going downstairs. I'm... Thank you. Psalm 103, verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are, we are dust. The believer has uh, major concerns in his or her life. We, we saw that this is an internal dialogue that is going on between the believer and his Lord. He is uh, he's calling on himself to bless the Lord. And we saw last week that we go from inside of ourselves and the answer of this world to continue to look inside, to continue to look within ourselves for answers. And the Word of God says that while we start with ourselves and we do look at the condition of our heart, we go outward. So we look at what is going on inside of our heart and we realize we are not blessing the Lord as we should. We are not praising Him. We are not kneeling before Him as we should in our heart. And so the Lord comes to us and speaks to us, and we begin to have this internal conversation. We say, we need to get out of this situation. We need to just stop talking to ourselves and uh, just simply going over the circumstances and the affairs of our life without going anywhere with it. Just meditating over and over. We need to do something about this. And so instead of simply looking within, we go to the Lord without we say, Lord, we need you. Oh, God, we need you. And we come before him and we say, Lord, we begin to remember all of the things that you have done for us in our lives. And as a result of that, we begin to, we begin to worship the Lord. But we still have concerns in the Christian life. There are, are things that weigh us down. And uh, any believer that just says, you know, life is just uh, perfect for me. I never deal with opposition. I never deal with problems in my life. I'm just always trusting the Lord. We hear people talk like that, like they're on some spiritual high all the time. 
And frankly, in many ways, that's a turnoff to the world. It's also a turnoff to other believers because they say that's not possible. That's not the testimony of every believer in Scripture. Sure, we have moments of euphoria. We have, we have times of great happiness and great gladness, even in our circumstances. We say, Lord, thank you for all these circumstances in our life. They are, they are working out as we thought they should. But other times we look at our life and we say, wow, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of issues. We look at the world and we say, wow, there's a lot of problems with, within the world. There's a lot of oppression. There's a lot of injustice. Now, the word justice and the word injustice is a, is a hot word today, and oftentimes when that word is brought up, we're talking about some kind of political, socialistic justice or injustice. That's not what we're talking about here. We're simply talking about the difference between right and wrong. And we look at the world and we say, so much is going wrong within the world. Lord, where are you? Lord, how, how can all of these things be taking place all over? War and problems with uh, abortion and uh, morality issues and issue and problem after problem. Nation fighting with nation. Politicians fighting with politicians. The oppression of peoples all over the world. And God comes along here in Psalm 103 and he says, he is the one who works righteousness. The Lord is working within our world that which is right. And it says here that there is justice for all who are oppressed. We look at that and we say, really? We, uh, we know lots of people who seem to be going through unjust and unjust situations in their life. There doesn't seem to be any justice. Lord, surely you have relieved some people from oppressive situations. We think of these three prisoners who were in North Korea. And can you imagine being in a cell for years, not being allowed to even see daylight? the sense of oppression that those men must have gone through, we say that's not right. That's unjust. Now they're finally freed. And uh, what a beautiful thing that is. They get home and they give a note to our vice president with a psalm written on it. They were trusting in the Lord. Oh, Lord, you see our oppression. You see the unfairness of this situation. God, we believe you're going to do something. And sometimes he acts in this life, and we thank the Lord for that. But sometimes we have to wait. Uh, people are treated with injustice their whole life, and then they die. And there is no happy ending. It's not like they get out of it after 10 years or 20 years or even 30 years, but they continue to deal with these situations all of their life, and then they're buried and placed within the ground. And the Lord is saying, I care about what is just. I want you to know that. The believer who says, I don't really care about justice. You know, I just give everything to the Lord. I don't care really about right and wrong. I don't care if everything is righted in this world. Is not speaking according to what the scripture says. 
The scripture cares greatly about how people are treated. The scripture cares greatly about inaccuracies and lies and things that are evil and things that are wrong. The Lord cares greatly about justice. And the word declares that in the end, justice is going to be revealed. On that final day of great judgment, the Lord is going to reveal everything that was unjust in this world. And he's going to set everything right. This is a, this is a great hope of ours. Oh, Lord, all, all the things that we have seen in our history, Hitler and on down through the Caesars and, and beyond that, Lord, all the things that have gone wrong, Lord, someday you're actually going to reveal what was actually accurate and true and righteous. And so we come before the Lord and we say, Lord, in this world we believe that even though because of sin, you say, well, how can all of this happen? Is it because God is unfair or God likes sin or God causes sin? May it never be. May it never be. God despises sin. God never causes evil or wickedness. But because of our sin, there is a lack of justice in this world. And God comes along and says, but behold, I'm going to make all things new. I'm going to turn all these things around. And in the end, the truth, the truth in every world situation, the truth in every world affair will be seen in the end. And the believer says, oh, Lord, we, we long. We long for that day. But in context here, it's talking about the one who fears the Lord. It's not just talking about, even though it is, talking about general justice for the world and the fact that everything is going to finally be made right. But this is talking specifically here in context about the believer. The believer is often mistreated. If there was ever a group of people in the world that was un, uh, treated unfairly, it would, be, it would be Christians. Now, we live and we are blessed to live in a country where there is a lot of freedom. And we don't have a lot of oppression with regard to the believer. But the truth is, if you're a Christian, at some point in your life you have been mistreated. You ever feel mistreated in your life? You ever feel misunderstood? Has an injustice been done in your life, believer? Have words been said about you or to you that are simply not true? Have you ever been in a situation that is unfair? And it's not because of your own actions. It's because somebody else has not treated you rightly. God says, I'm working justice on your behalf. I am working righteousness on your behalf. You may not see it right now. You may not see it. You may be even going through circumstances that you say, where is the justice in this situation? Where is the righteousness? And you are feeling oppressed. And lots of believers have felt this way. Many, the Bible says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. 
If you're a Christian, you might not be in North Korea. You might be in America, and things might be going relatively well for you. But if you're a Christian, if you're a true Christian, if you're a believer, you know what it's like to feel oppressed. You know what it's like to feel like things are not fair. The danger is to take things into your own hands. The danger is to say, you know what? I know it says here the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. But I'm not seeing it in my life. Are you sure about that? This seems to be a, a long situation. This seems to be going on a long time. And the danger is, the danger is to say, Lord, I'm not sure. The concern of the believer here could be, Lord, uh, I know that you promised that you are working righteousness, that you're working justice in my life. But Lord, maybe it's time for me to take matters into my own hands. If there was ever a man who could have taken matters into his own hands and not trusted Psalm 103, the justice of God, the righteousness of God being worked on his behalf, it was David. If you go over to 1 Samuel chapter 24, 1 Samuel chapter 24, David is a, uh, has been anointed. He's going to be the future king of Israel. But instead of being placed right into the kingship, right onto the throne, he has a waiting period. And so God has said to David, David, you're going to be the king. I've anointed you as a king. This is his promise. Saul, the hand of God is being taken off of Saul. And God is saying Saul has been disobedient. Saul has not been faithful to my word. And so as a result of his disobedience, his unfaithfulness, I'm going to take him off of the throne. And David, I'm going to set you on the throne. And David has this opportunity to get himself on the throne even quicker than what might be apparent. Saul became jealous of David. He knew that David was his heir apparent. And so he thought, I, I'm not going to let David be king. I don't, I don't like him. I don't like the way that people like him. And so I'm going to chase him down, and I'm going to find him. And I'm going, Saul saying, I'm going to deal with him. And so Saul, on a couple of occasions, a number of occasions, begins to chase David down. And instead of being able to deal with David, Saul actually falls into David's hands. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 3, it says, And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, and there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. So Saul is chasing David. He finds a cave. He goes in to rest for a little bit. I'm sure it's nice and cool in there. Perhaps take a nap, relieve himself, do whatever he needs to do. But little does he know as he is in this cave that David and his men are hiding in the cave even deeper still. So they are further in the cave and Saul is unaware of this. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. So David's men say this. They say, Look, here's Saul. He's been delivered into your hands. Remember, David, God has told you that you're going to be king. And by the way, you're not getting much justice in your life. 
The Lord has promised he's going to work righteousness for you, but it sure doesn't look that way. Here you are running for your life. You're running scared through the desert. And maybe this is, uh, this is the perfect opportunity for you to take matters into your own hands. After all, the Lord has already promised you, the Lord has promised you that you're going to be king. So what would be wrong with you going ahead and taking Saul out right now? I mean, isn't that what God kind of said anyway? And perhaps this is God's way of speaking to you that this is your way out. This is your way to deal with the situation. The justice and the righteousness of God. Now, God has his timing, and uh, David's men are coming to him and saying, but uh, we have our timing, and we think this is the perfect opportunity for you. Now, David could have said, that's all true. God has anointed me to be king. Uh, things don't seem to be going very fairly in my life. And here's the perfect opportunity. In fact, God has brought him to me so that maybe I can go and take his life right now and deal with it and I'll be king and set this whole thing up. All this trouble, all this business of running all around the desert can be dealt with right now. But David doesn't do that. Then David, verse 4, arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded the men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. So David comes, he could have killed Saul. He could have taken this matter into his own hands. Oh, how easy it would have been. But instead of doing that, he goes up. Saul is evidently sleeping, doesn't recognize David is there, and he cuts off a piece of his robe. And as Saul is leaving, David comes out of the cave with the piece of robe in his hand. Verse 8, and afterward David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My lord, the king, what respect. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. You go down to verse 17. We see what Saul says to David. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. By the way, this uh, same kind of scenario plays out again in 1 Samuel just a couple chapters later in chapter 26 where David could have killed Saul again for a second time. And instead of killing him, he does the exact same, same thing. Listen, listen carefully. I, I'm absolutely convinced in, in the church today one of the, one of the major problems and one of the major issues in the American church is people who say we're going to take things into our own hands. We're going to deal with our job the way the world deals with our job. We're going to take our marriage into our own hands. We're going to deal with our marriage the way that the world says to handle marriage. We're going to handle children the way that uh, the world says to handle children. 
We're going, we're going to transplant, we're going to transplant all the things, the philosophies of the world into our life. Because one of the great temptations in our life, in the believer's life, is to say, is God really righteous? Is God really just? Did God really say? Why would he allow such injustice in a believer's life if he was really working? And so the temptation is to say, yeah, that, that's all true. I, I could actually take matters into my own hands and uh, do things the way that I would like to do them. Or I can say, God, I don't understand the situation that you've placed me in right now, but I understand that you are working righteousness and you are working justice on my behalf. Here's what believers do. They refuse to ignore God's word, and they reject their own internal word their own internal word that is saying, take matters into your own hands. Taking matters into their own hands. So there's this, bless the Lord, O my soul, and David is coming along and he's saying, God, I recognize you are. No matter what it looks like in the world or what it looks like in my life, Lord, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to continue to abide and be obedient to your word as you give me grace to believe that you are a God of righteousness and that you are a God of justice. Notice with me what uh, Romans chapter 12 says. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12 verse 19. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says this. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. That is what, what, what Paul is writing here is he's saying, don't take matters into your own hands. Now what he's not saying, he's not saying do nothing. You know, this whole idea of just let go and let God and we're going to just kind of do nothing. No, what, what he's saying is do nothing outside of God's word. Do nothing outside of his will. Let me, let me repeat that again. It, it doesn't mean do nothing. We just sit around and just say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to just sit here. No, it, it means that we're, we're not going to do anything outside of his word. We're not going to do anything outside of his will. So we say, Lord, Lord, I'm committed by your power and by your strength not to avenge myself or ourselves. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Then if you flip over to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 23. When he, that is Jesus, was reviled. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting to him, here it is, who judges justly or who judges righteously. I just say as we're talking about this, The Lord is here. What, what is it in our lives that the Lord is saying? I want you to give that up to me. 
to just believe that, uh, that I'm in this situation. I'm really in this situation. I'm really fighting on your behalf. That's the Lord's word to us this morning. I'm really dealing with you justly and uh, righteously. Will not the Lord do good? Will not the king of all the earth do good? And, the, and, the, and this temptation comes along and says, but we could do this and we could handle it on our own. And God is saying, I don't want you to do nothing, but the problem is when you're trying to handle it on your own, you're actually stepping outside of the word, of his plan. And so God is saying, keep yourself. Keep yourself, as Jude says, keep yourself in the love of God. When there's understanding and when there's no understanding, when there's justice and when there's no justice, when it's a short period of time in your life, listen, God's speaking this morning. When it's a short period of time in your life and when it's decades long and you become an old person and you're still waiting and you're still saying, God, where are you? But you're hanging on your sin. But I believe you. I believe that you're a God of justice. I believe you're a God of righteousness. Hanging on. Trusting him, trusting him, trusting him. So this is one of the the concerns in a believer's life, this whole idea of oppression and injustice. But here's another issue that the psalmist deals with, and that is God's hiddenness. God's hiddenness. Have you ever felt like, uh, where are you, God? And you're, you're looking and you're saying, God, are, are you there? What, what, are, what, are you, what are you doing? God comes along and he says, not only am I righteous and I'm just, but he says this, he is the one who reveals himself to us. Aren't you thankful that God, God is not like an idol of man where we make him, we form him, we form this image, and then we create all the answers and all of the dilemmas, everything that goes into idolatry is really just self-made, self-created. But God comes along and he says, I reveal myself. In essence, I don't need you for me to reveal me. I can reveal because I am I'm all-powerful. I have life in myself. Here's his revelation, verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. How did did he reveal himself? Well, he revealed himself in history, in our Bible, in the Word. So we go back and we begin to meditate on his Word. We say, Lord, we know that you've acted. We have seen it because you tell us here in Psalm 103 that you that you acted in the life of Moses and in the life of Israel. God, when you say that you split the Red Sea, we really believe that that's exactly what you did. That you acted on behalf of your people. When they were hungry, you fed them manna. You gave them quail. You gave them meat to eat. When they were thirsty, you you gave them water. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. So he speaks to us, and he speaks to us clearly through his his word. He has revealed himself through his word. Oh, how important it is for us to be in our Bibles. 
to be listening to what God is saying to us, to be encouraging our hearts, to be encouraging our spirits as we read these pages of Scripture. A number of years ago, I met with, um, I met with a young fella in jail. And uh, his heart was uh, just breaking over some of the things that were going on in his life. And uh, we prayed, and uh, then he got he got moved away. He's now in a, another jail, and I haven't heard from him in a long time. All of a sudden, last week, I got a letter from him. And he was just talking about what the Lord was still doing in his life, and he said, I want you to know I'm still praying, I'm still on the right track. And I, I wrote him back yesterday, and I said, the best thing you can do, number one, is read your Bible. Read your Bible. As we get into the Word, we say, oh, God, would you reveal yourself to us? Would you speak to us? Lord, we need to hear from you. You ever feel like that? Lord, we need to hear from you. And oftentimes we do everything. We listen to Grandma, and we listen to this person, we listen to that, and all maybe well-intentioned people. And God is saying, will you just get alone with me, and will you get into the Word? And as we begin to hear his Word, he begins to encourage our heart, and we see God revealing himself. He begins to elevate our faith. He begins to strengthen our faith as we hear his, as we hear his word. But he doesn't only reveal himself through his, his word. He also reveals himself in answer to our prayer. Talks here about the Lord being merciful and gracious, slow to anger, etc. This actually comes from uh, verses in the Old Testament behind the Psalms. If you go with me to Exodus chapter 33... We'll see this, that not only does God encourage us through what he has done in the past in the pages of our scripture, but he actually answers us in prayer. Exodus chapter 33. Verse 16. Exodus 33. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? Moses is talking to God. I and your people. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, please show me your glory. So Moses is praying. He says, Lord, I want you. I want to see you. We talk about God revealing himself in the word. He's now going to reveal himself in answer to Moses' prayer. Moses says, Lord, I want to see your glory. Will you show me your glory? And if you go down to chapter 34, verse 5, God says that he will reveal himself to Moses in answer to his prayer. Exodus chapter 34, verse 5, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed by. Now see if this sounds familiar to our psalm, Psalm 103. The Lord passed by him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Verse 8, And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth, and worshipped. 
How does, uh, how does God reveal himself? Well, he reveals himself through his word, but he also reveals himself in response to our prayer. God says um, to Moses, he's interacting with Moses, he's talking to him about the people of Israel, and Moses says, I want to see your glory. Lord, I want to I know you. I want to know that your hand is still on this nation. I want to I know that your hand is on me. Lord, will you reveal yourself to me? I'm thirsty for you. Uh, I'm, I'm hungry for you. And when we get to that place in our life, this, this thirst for the Lord, he reveals himself to us. Isaiah chapter 55, if you go over there, Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6. says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And if you go over to Jeremiah chapter 33. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. By the way, I remember um, John Podlosky, he used to talk about this uh, verse and uh, said it was the Lord's phone number. He would call it the Lord's phone number. And uh, I don't know why I remember that, but obviously it stuck with me. He would say, do you know what the Lord's phone number is? And, um, and then he would go to Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. But here's what it says. It says, call to me. That's why he said that. Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. So the Lord wants to reveal himself. He reveals himself to us through his word as we go back over the pages of scripture and we say, Lord, you've worked in this case and you've worked in this case. God, you're a God who has power and life in himself. I don't need to work you up. I don't need to make you exist. You're really there. And as we hear his word, he speaks into our heart. He gives us, he gives us strength, and uh, he gives us strength to pray to him, to call upon him. It's in our moments of desperation that the Lord reveals himself to us. Lord, we're desperate for you. We're hungry for you. We're, we're asking you that you would move in our life. The, the Lord responds to a prayer like that, to a, a person who is, is coming to the Lord, not just in a haphazard talk, but is coming to him with a sense of holy desperation. So God says, I'm working justice on your behalf. I'm not hidden, but I am going to reveal myself to you. And then he talks about two more things. He talks about our sins. This is a, another concern, our sins. Psalm 103, if you flip back there, Psalm 103. Talks about our, our sins. This is a this is a problem in, in the believer's life. We come to the Lord and we say, Lord, we have all these sins in our life. We've done so many wrong things. How are you going to treat us? And in Psalm 103, verse 10, it says, Here, here's, here's how he deals with us. He does not deal with us according to our sins. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. Can you imagine uh, somebody getting out of jail and they've committed all sorts of different things, problems, 
sins in their life, crimes. And instead of being treated in society as uh, the person who has committed all of those things, they are treated as if they never committed anything. You say, well, that's, that's not going to happen in society, but that's in essence what the Lord is saying, how he treats us. When he deals with us, it says here, he does not deal with us according to our sins. Isn't that what we long for? The, the lustful person who has dealt with lust longs for God not to deal with him or her according to her or his lust. The thief longs for God not to deal with him according to his crimes. The person with anger or the person with, you go on through all the different sins, greed, and we could name all the gossip, all the different sins. Here comes so-and-so the gossip, or here comes so-and-so the person who deals with this or that crime. But when we go to the Lord, there's never a sense that that's how he deals with us. He never deals with us according to our sins. He could, but he always welcomes us. He always brings us in as friends, as those who are his. How is this possible? It says here in verse 10, he does not repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You mean I can go to the Lord and he doesn't hang all the past sins of my life over me when I go to him? How awesome is that? Can you imagine getting to heaven and he says, well, you know, I'd like to welcome you in here, but I'll tell you what, you sure have done a lot of wrong things in your life constantly hanging over the sins in our life over and over again. But that's not how he treats us. This is awesome. You mean, you mean he doesn't deal with us according to our sins? He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities? No. In fact, God says, I want you to understand how he does not do this. He says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Here's how far he removes our sins from him. As far as the east is from the west, they never meet, they never touch. He gets rid of all of them. He removes our transgressions from us. How is this possible? It's possible because the sins of our life were placed upon Christ. There was a sweat that was done. Jesus got all of our sins on the cross and we got his righteousness. Baker says this, having rewarded him according, that is he's rewarded, having re uh, rewarded him, that is Jesus, according to our iniquities, thou wilt now reward us according to his merits. He rewards him according to our sins. He rewards us according to his merits. For those who fear him. So in a world of cover-up, of trying to kind constantly cover up sin, not deal with sin, God says, if you come, you fear me. You lay all your sins down at the foot of the cross. You say, Lord Jesus, I come to you with all my sins, all my brokenness, all the 
problems of the past, I come to you. I lay them at your feet. I ask you to take care of them. I ask you to take care of them. There's instant forgiveness, instant kindness, instant removal of all of our sins. So he deals with our sins. We, we don't have to be worried about how he's going to interact with us. The last thing that the text says here is he knows our weakness. He not only knows that we're sinful and that we're sinners, and so he deals with them according to Christ, but he also knows that we are weak in our build, in our frame, and yet he's compassionate to us. Notice what verse 13 says. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He says, I know what you're built of. Dirt. Remember in the beginning of uh, creation, how did he create Adam? He created him out of the clay out of the dirt of the ground. And he breathed into him life. That's all we are is dirt. Here for a little while. And he formed Eve out of the side of Adam, out of one of his ribs, and she is formed out of dirt as well. So from uh, dust we are and to dust we shall return, that is... That is uh, the, the story of our life. And yet, yet God comes along and says, but I have compassion on you. I, I, I know the weaknesses in your life. I, I know that you're frail. I know that you're sickly. I know that you go through this, and I know that you go through that. But as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on us. That's how he treats us. He treats us with, with great compassion. So as we look at Psalm 103, he, um, he deals with all these concerns. He deals with injustice. He deals with his hiddenness. He deals with our sins. He deals with our, our weakness. And for that, we simply say to the Lord, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Lord, thank you. When we pray right now, thank you. Thank you for dealing with us according to your righteousness. Thank you. Thank you for not hiding yourself from us. Thank you for dealing with our sins on the cross. And thank you for having compassion on us. You know our frame. You know that we are dust. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Would you stand with me as we uh, as we close? And I'd like to ask if I could have uh, Carol and uh, Glenn. They are uh, part of our church, and I think Carol might be downstairs. So maybe while. Um, we want to pray over them. They're actually going to be moving. They are uh, moving to New Mexico, and they will no longer be with us uh, attending the church here. So they're going to be in New Mexico for three years.
and um, so we want to pray over them as they as they go. But Father, we thank you as we wait for them that you would you would speak to our hearts, speak to our hearts. We pray, oh God, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord. If there's anyone here, I'd like to ask you a question. You're standing here, and, and perhaps you're you're thinking about these things as we've been talking about them, and. Uh, in particular, perhaps there's something in your life that you've been struggling to give over to the Lord. And, and maybe you've been asking the Lord, Lord, are you really at work in this situation in my life? And you're hearing the tempting voice to say, don't listen to the word of God, but take matters into your own hands. And that's a struggle. that you here this morning I'd like to pray for you I'm not going to bring you up here but if that's you would you raise your hand you say I'm just I'm struggling with okay anyone else okay anyone else anyone else anyone else thank you Lord okay anyone else thank you Lord okay thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus speak Lord your servants are listening Lord, I thank you that what you are making us is, is, um, is tested warriors for the long haul, not, not, uh, not instant fast food Christians, bozable Christians, Lord, but you're making us long-term. Lord, we're, we're commanded to take the long view. Help us, Lord, to take the long view. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.